Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Good morning, everyone. How y'all doing? Good, good. You survived losing an hour's sleep and you're still here. That's all awesome. Hey, um, you know, I had a different sermon series planned for today, a different sermon series. Uh, I was going to preach a whole different thing. And uh, God started talking to me earlier in the week. And on Monday morning, he made it very, very clear. He gave me this entire outline, told me what I was supposed to do. And I'm like, no, God, I don't want to. I've got this plan already made. And then so anyway, I'm walking through the office, and, um, and um, as I'm walking through the office, I tell Pastor Garrett, I said, total change of plans. We're going to go with words. We're going to do words for the next couple of uh, weeks, like till three weeks after Easter. We're going to stick with words. And I said, the first one is going to be good. We're going to do good. And my wife, of course, around the corner hears me say that and screams out through the office, hey, Pastor Garrett, you guys should sing God is good all the time. It's like, he's like, that's funny. I just talked to Amanda. Amanda's leading worship Sunday, and Amanda picked God is good all the time. Now, hold on, hold on. That could be a coincidence, right? Could be a coincidence. We have thousands of songs. I have millions of options to preach on Sunday morning. We just happened to pick the same theme the same Sunday independently. Now that could be coincidence, but I know this, the more I pray, more God causes coincidences to happen. And the more I listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the more he aligns all the things together. So I believe this morning, I have a message for you from God and it's gonna be centered around the word good. But before we get all serious, Mary had a little lamb and the midwife passed out. <clears throat> what do you call a doctor that specializes in Adam's apples? A guy necologist. Guy necologist? Anyway. All right, now it's time to get serious. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word today? Now, I have picked one of the hardest verses you could ever use on a Sunday morning. I don't believe anybody can follow along with this one. So we're going to put it on the screen and see if you can actually follow along with our text today. All right, it's from Psalm 73. By the way, I just happened to wake up this morning and my devotional reading, I have a pattern. Every morning I pick up where I left off. And the very first words I read are Psalms, then I go to Proverbs, then I do an Old Testament before Psalms, then I do an Old Testament after Psalms, then I do a, a Gospels, and then I do a rest of the New Testament. And uh, my very first words I read were the first words of this text. Could you put that up? Yeah, there you go. I, I know this is difficult. Can you all get this? I think we could all do this together. What do you think? You think maybe you could get these four words? Do you think maybe, maybe, maybe? you could actually be bold enough to say these four words with me. Not just simply read them on the screen, not just hear somebody read them, but you, not the person next to you, you literally say these four words together. Could y'all do that with me? About four or five of you saying yes, the rest of you, all right, there you go. You ready? Everybody together. 
One, two, three. Surely God is good. Now you did that so good, I'm gonna ask you to do it again because we're gonna try to seat this in your heart. You ready? Surely God is good. Father, I pray that today you would speak to us the truth of this passage and we would look at good, this word in the Bible, and we would see what it says to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you're seated today, why don't you turn and give somebody a big smile? And maybe you might even tell them if you like them, you might even say, hey, I like you. You're all right. You know, so online. Hey, I like you. You're all right. All right. Y'all ready to go here? This sermon series is called Word. So I want to start with the definition of the word good. Good means to be desired or approved that which is morally right of benefit or advantage to someone or something. And we want a good life, right? Don't you want a good life? Don't you want a good day? You know, wouldn't you rather have a good day than a bad day, right? Would you rather have a good life than a bad life? Would you like to have your life be desired or approved? (laughs) Would you like your life to be morally right of benefit and advantage to everybody you meet? Wouldn't that be good, right? That's good, right? So that's what we want. But when we read this text, we read it the way Psalm 73 is written. Psalm 73 is actually a complaint about God, the first half of it. The second half is a vindication of those who are, uh, are submitted to God. And you can read it sometimes, great Psalm. It's probably that and Psalm 51, my two favorite Psalms. But he starts with surely God is good, but he doesn't start with God is good. There's a surely in the way. Now, every time I say surely something, I think back to Airplane, the old movie. You must be kidding. Surely, you must be kidding. I'm not kidding, and don't call me Shirley. Right? Does anybody remember that? Yeah, if you, all right. Old, old movie. If you haven't watched Airplane, don't. <laughs> but surely, God is good. Why, why the surely there? Because, well, all right, so the other day I went and played golf. It was a beautiful day. It was the day it was almost 70 degrees. The wind was laid down. I played golf with par five, par five, you know, about 480 yards. I hit a, I hit a drive in the fairway. In the, come on, I hit a drive in the fairway about 250 to 260, somewhere in that zone. Yeah, great moment. So I'm there and come on, if I hit a fairway, that is a rare day. But anyway, what's even rarer is it's a par five. So you're supposed to hit, hit, and then hit to get to the green. But no, me, I'm in the fairway. I pull my little three wood hybrid out. My wife got me and click, I hit that ball and I wound up like that far from the green. It was a beautiful shot from 220 yards out. Come on, I'm like pumped up, yeah right? Par five. I'm laying right there in two. I'm as close from here to that base from making the ball in the hole. And it took me four shots to make it. (laughs) 480 yards in two, but surely that was a good golf hole, right? (laughs) Surely golf is good. Anybody ever look fly in a new outfit? You know, you're getting your new duds on and you're looking all spiffy. Even your hair work that morning, your shirt's all nice pressed or your new skirt or blouse or whatever it is. And you're feeling good and everything is going good. And you got this big meeting and you get in the car and you go to take a drink of your coffee and the lid wasn't on all the way and you get a big spot right down the middle. Come on. Surely coffee is good, right? Surely, surely. How about you meet Mr. or Miss Awesome and they actually say yes to a date and then you go out 
And then they start immediately. I mean, you're like so pumped. You go on the date and you sit down and immediately they start espousing all this crazy philosophical and political stuff that's exactly opposite of everything you think. And you're like, surely Mr. or Miss Awesome is good. How about you spend a week in the sunshine and it's beautiful and the food is awesome and this would never happen to me. And then you come back and you gain five pounds. Surely sunshine is good, right? Surely vacation is good. But you notice how there's always a, a, a surely attached to it. And a lot of us, when we approach God, we approach God with God is good, but we add the surely in, you know? God is good, surely he's gotta be because we've asked God for good and we've believed for good and we've worked for good and, and you know, we've had faith for good and yet we don't see the good. Has anybody ever lived that life? And you're like, surely God is good. So that's the question today is what happens when the good is overwhelmed with the less than good? How does that happen and how do we deal with that? So there are three statements I want to make from the scriptures that will help us understand, help us understand how the surely God is good is a true statement. First of all, let's handle God is good. God is good. God by his very nature is good. Now you and I, we'll get to this a little later, you and I are not good. We're never gonna be good. I can never be good. The reason I can never be good is I'm a bent nail. Anybody ever drive a nail and as you're driving a nail it bends and then you straighten it up and then you try to drive it and it bends again exactly at the same bent spot, right? Because it's weak in there. Well, we're all like that. We all have sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We have all done wrong and we're all sort of bent nails. We can never be good. But God is good. So we can't be good, but God by his very nature is good. Now we want God to do good things and we talk about God doing good things, but what we need to recognize is God by his very nature is good. There's no ungood in him. He is all good all the time and all the time God is good as the song we sang said. So uh, it says in Psalm 73, one here, surely God is good. But it also says in Mark 10, eight, Jesus was talking. A guy came up to him one day and said, hey, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, good, why do you call me good? And then he says, why do you call me good? There's no one good except who? God. So there's only one by his very nature is good. Everybody else and everything else in all of creation, all we see are now broken and bent by sin, but only God is untainted by sin and everything from him is good because in his nature, he is good. So he can't give anything other than good. That's, that's key to understanding that God's nature is good. God's the only good. Now we may look at it with a different perspective and not understand. Surely God is good because we don't understand, but yet that doesn't change the fact that God by his nature is good. And since God's nature is good, everything that comes out of him is good. So everything that proceeds from God is good. James 1:17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't change like the shifting shadow. So Jesus is, is um, revealing to us the nature of God, and the nature of God is that he is good all the time and that everything that proceeds from him is good. It doesn't change, he doesn't, it's not mutable, it doesn't change, it doesn't, it doesn't back up, he, he doesn't shift. Like when a, a situation changes, his goodness doesn't shift just because things go haywire. So everything that comes from God is good. But sometimes good isn't always pleasant. Years ago, we had a 43-year-old guy that was a part of this church. 
he had just adopted two kids from the foster system that had been uh, mistreated as children and he had adopted them and he and his wife were building a home and a family he had a nice job and everything was going good and at 42 years of age he died I had a struggle with that I I, I really liked Anthony Anthony Tilako he's a great guy I loved him loved his kids his whole household was coming together they were so cute together and then he got sick and died very quickly and I was like, what in the world, God? We prayed for God to rescue him. And we didn't understand, God, if you're good, why don't you rescue somebody who's way too young to die? God, if you're good, why don't you intervene? I know you can heal blind eyes. I know you can make the lame walk. I know you can do these things. Why don't you do it for Anthony? God, if you're good, surely you would. But what we need to understand about the goodness of God is that the goodness of God supersedes our understanding of immediate goodness. There's actually a verse in the scripture that explains this. Isaiah chapter 57, verse one, the righteous perish it, no one takes it to heart, the devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. So God in his goodness sees good for all times and all places and his very nature. And he sees our lives, he sees our days, he sees all of our world, he knows all the pieces together and sometimes God allows things that seem horrible to us because it is actually in the better interest of his goodness. He doesn't do it. Notice I didn't say he did it. God doesn't kill 42-year-olds, but he allows it to happen. Let me give you an understanding of this, okay? I'm getting a little older. I, uh, I turned a little over 50 and my check engine light came on. Now, those of you that are younger, you don't understand this quite as much. But once you get a certain age, your check engine light comes on. I got some heart problems that happened. I got some other stuff that happened. And I just wasn't feeling like me. You know, I wasn't feeling like myself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Check engine light comes on. You got to go, went on high blood pressure medication. And, you know, genetics are horrible. I don't care if you work out. Anyway, sorry. Different time. Complaint. God's good. God's good. All right. So anyway, one of those things they wanted me to get checked out is a colonoscopy. Now, anybody ever had a colonoscopy? Yeah, now colonoscopy, let's just talk about the prep for just a second. I'm gonna sing you an old 80s song. Here I go again on my throne. Oh, sorry, no, no. Come on, Any, anybody get, that prep is no fun, right? It is no good. Can we just admit that the prep for a colonoscopy is no good? I mean, it really stinks, it's the craps, I mean, you, yeah, yeah, anyway, it's no fun, but I tell you what, if they, but if you go in and they find a polyp that turns into cancer and they remove that polyp and it doesn't become cancer and you don't die, colonoscopies are good. Agreed? But the prep is no good, but the result is what? Good. Hmm. Maybe, maybe. There's some of this going on with God that when we experience things that we call no good, it might be prep for something that's actually good. Second truth I want to state from the scriptures is that God created all things good. So God in his, his very nature is good. So all the things that come out of him are good. So everything God creates is good. And originally when he created the Garden of Eden, he created this world, he created it good. Genesis chapter one, verse 12, and God saw that it was good. 
As a matter of fact, seven times in the first chapter of Genesis, it says that God's creation was good. And then in 131, it says God saw all he had made and it was what? Come on, what was it? It wasn't just good, it was very good. Hmm. So God created this world that was in its very nature good. It was like him, it was made to be good. But yet something happened. Adam and Eve, you know, they were put in a garden and I'm gonna say that was a good garden. I mean, they had food ready at hand, they had water to drink and it had to be the perfect temperature because they walked around naked all the time and didn't need clothes and didn't get sunburned. Think about this. That's a good garden, right? If I could, come on, if I could live all the time without the need for clothes, I wouldn't get cold at night. I wouldn't get cold in the winter. And I could walk around on a beach all the time and not get sunburned? Come on, can somebody say, that's a good world, right? That'd be a good, I'm the only one, that's my dream, right? That is a good world. I mean, you can imagine this great world and God made it good, but yet um, God did put in the middle of this good world a tree. He put the tree there and it says in Genesis 2, 9, in the middle of the garden were the tree, of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said this, you can eat the tree of life, but here's the one you don't eat. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's my tree, it's not your tree. Don't eat my fruit. God said, this is mine, don't eat it. Now, was the no now when we think of this, we think of it as the knowledge of evil. But it wasn't the knowledge of evil, it was the knowledge of what? Good and evil. You see, up until this time, all that they had was good, but they didn't realize how much good they had. And then something happened. The serpent showed up and, and it said to him, for God knows when you eat of this tree, the tree of good and evil, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So they were jealous. They said, God's holding out on me. That's what they were saying. God, there's something better out there and God's holding out on me. And and, and, and this one tree, one thing, one thing. And, and when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, look at the, the fruit of the tree, okay? The fruit of the tree of good and evil. Look at the words to describe it. It was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. And it was desirable for gaining what? Wisdom. Now those all look really good, right? Yeah, but you see, here's what the devil did and what he always does. He always sells you on half of what you're getting, not the whole thing. It was the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and? Yet he only showed them the? Hmm. Hmm. So what happened? She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open. So in that moment, the not good entered the world. They had everything good. In that moment, they lost the good and they entered into the evil because they got both. So their eyes were immediately open to their sin, their shame, their shortcomings, and they immediately reacted by covering themselves. And that's what we still do to this very day when we pursue the good and we wind up with the evil. We still hide and cower in shame. So I've asked this often, why did God give them a choice? Why did he put the tree there? Why do that? Well, it's very, very simple. Uh, why put a tree there that's the knowledge of good and evil and say, don't touch my tree, don't eat my tree? He didn't say don't touch it, he said don't eat it. Don't eat its fruit. You can take care of the tree, but don't eat my fruit. 
And, and why would he say that? Well, because you see, God wants something from us called love. Love is not love as long as love is forced. So if I say to this cup, cup, love me. Can this cup love me back? Why can't it love me back? Because there's no choice to it. As a matter of fact, when we were studying a few weeks ago for a sermon on dating and marriage and all that stuff, um, we came across this story about people that are making inanimate objects. They're making like robots and they're filling them with the artificial intelligence and then they're covering them with fake bodies. And uh, so uh, Katie Couric actually did an interview with one of these artificial intelligent girl robots made to look like the perfect woman for this guy. And this guy had created this perfect robot woman. And it was weird listening to Katie Couric talk to this robot woman because she would ask questions and the robot woman because she was programmed by the dude to answer the way he wanted would answer questions seductively and sexually even though she was asking common questions because he had designed this love interest of his to be a machine and to act like a machine and pre-programmed all of its behaviors. And you know what he got? He got exactly what he programmed. And I'm gonna tell you that you cannot love something that's like that. I've been married for 30 something years and sometimes I wish I could reprogram my wife because she doesn't answer the way I want, right? Because sometimes I'm, shh, I'm wrong. And sometimes I need somebody to tell me something that's different than what I want pre-programmed. And sometimes real relationships, oh, all the time, real relationships comes from her choice to love the real fallen me, even though she knows the real me, and me to love the real fallen her, even though I know the real fallen her. That's love. Love is not her saying and doing everything perfect. That's infatuation. It's called puppy love. You live puppy love, you will lead a dog's life. You grow beyond that. You get to know a real person and that's where, so what God wanted was God wanted love and to have love from us, he had to give us the choice to be able to decide whether or not we would choose the good or would we choose the evil. And for that to happen, choice entered into the world. And that explains the question of how somebody like Anthony Tolaco, who was 42 years old and died way too young, how could that happen? Because sin entered into this world and bad things came to this world and those bad things come out of our choices and we have made this world more fallen as we've gone along. We've developed foods and drinks that cause cancer and Cigarettes that cause cancer. We've developed hatred and anger and foodstuffs that cause obesity and kill us. We have developed these things and we pursue them and then we complain at God that our life's not good when we have made the choices that destroyed our lives. Why did God give them a choice? Because forced love isn't really love. And as a good God, he set in place things to benefit his children if they would choose him. That's what he said in Deuteronomy 30, chapter 19. This is back when he made the covenant of law. He said, this day I call heavens and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose, 
choose life. You have a choice. Any theological perspective that rid you of your free will is not biblical. You have the will to make whatever decision you want to make. God gave you free will and he did so so he could love you. If he pre-programmed you to make all your decisions and you have no choice in making them, you do not love God. You actually are doing what he programmed you to do. God wants you to choose him and to be in relationship with him. And all the way back here and all through the New Testament, I could show you over and over again, God designed you to choose him through the process. So the big question, why do bad things happen to good people? It's because of this. There are no good people for bad things to happen to. There are no bad people, there are no good people to have bad things happen to. Good things happen Bad things happen to all of us. And it is a good and merciful God that lets anything good happen to you. Because somebody asked me one day, how you doing? I said, I'm doing better than I deserve. They're like, what in the world does that mean? I said, well, if I got what I deserved, I'm a French fry cooking in the pit of hell right now. God did not give me what I deserved. He has been good to me. He has been giving me blessings. So, so what are we to do then with this goodness? Well, Let's move into the action, our action. We are called to reclaim the good. Now, what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to redeem you and give you his life and to give you an imputed, that's a theological word, an imputed righteousness. So here I am, I'm, a, I'm not a good guy. And what God did was he took the goodness of Christ and he puts it as a filter around me so that whenever he looks at me, he doesn't see bad Kevin, he sees Jesus. So that's what's called imputed righteousness or imputed goodness. God gives us the righteousness of Christ, not because we are good, but because Christ's righteousness has been given to us. And it is, a, it is, if you will, a layer that surrounds us that no matter what we touch or what touches us or what comes in or out of us, it has an opportunity to go through the filter of God's goodness in Jesus Christ that is like our covenant. If you will, we're in this holy membrane of Jesus Christ and everything that we do, we can now do in the goodness of God unless we rip open the membrane and reach our bad self out. Are you, are you following me here? So you're not good. There's still you, but you're covered from head to toe. Everything you're covered by the goodness of Jesus Christ. So what God has called us to do is to reclaim the good by living through that covering of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it says, for you are, for we are God's handwork, handiwork. You are God's handiwork. You should look at somebody next to you and say, you are God's handiwork. Just tell them you're God's handiwork. If you're in a, online, just type in the chat, leave a note, say, I am God's handiwork. I am God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? You're created to do good works, not to be good. You're created to what? Do good. We need to draw this distinction. You're not created to be good. You're created to do good. We'll talk about it in a second. Which God prepared in advance for you to do. So all the way back in your life, come on, all the way back here, you were born and say for 20, 30 years, maybe 10 years, maybe it's six months. You did bad. 
You planted bad seeds. Do we got any farmers in the room? What happens if you put corn in the ground? What's going to grow? Soybeans, right? If I plant corn seeds, soybeans are going to grow, right? No? If I plant corn in the ground, what's going to come up? Everybody tell me, what's going to come up? If I put soybeans in the ground, what's going to come up? Wow, you get this. So if you plant sin in your life, what's going to be reaped? Destruction of sin. A lot of us, we're like planting the wrong seeds. We're planting weeds in our fields. And we're praying, oh God, give me crop failure. <laughs> I'll plant weeds and then I'll pray for some blessing. But what God says is that we're not called to do that. We're called to do the good works of God, to plant the right seeds, and eventually we will reap the harvest. We'll get to that verse in a second. But I want you to know that God designed all the way back at the beginning of your life that even if you spent some time planting the wrong seeds, he has a way of covering you with the blood of Jesus. And if you'll begin to do his works, God has a plan for you to do the works all the way back there. These were seen knowing your goof ups, knowing how Jesus would cover you. He's not at a loss at how to give you the life you desire. God's got a plan, and his plan goes all the way back to the beginning. Seeing your goose up, he knows that he has good work for you to do. He prepared in advance for you to do. What else? Uh, uh, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and act in, quarter, uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God is working, even through, through those years of your stupidity, he's working in you to get you to turn to him, to get you to believe in him, to trust him. And the quicker you make that turn, the more you're gonna fulfill his good purpose. So there's, there's four focused actions we need to take that enable us to fulfill God's purpose and to reclaim the good work. So the first one is love the good. I'm convinced that the root of the problem in most people's lives is they do not love the good. In Titus chapter one, verse eight, it says, the one who loves what is good. Now this is an instruction for leaders in the church and it says that the only people you're to promote are people who love what is good, not love what is evil, but love what is good. If you wanna be a leader in the church, you gotta to learn to love what is good. The problem is in our culture, we're in love with what is evil. Remember the knowledge of good and evil? Knowledge of good and evil? I, I'll, I'll give you, a, a, I'll pick on an older generation. Some of you were around when this guy was around years ago. Do you remember this? You know, does anybody know who this guy is? James Dean, the ultimate bad boy, the stealer of all girls' hearts, the envy of every man. Yeah, the bad boy with no arms. Dude, dude is skinny. In the 50s, I guess that was cool, though, to wear his shirt down to here with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth, you know. Why, why did he appeal to everybody so much? Because what he was saying, why was this guy popular? He was popular for one reason, one reason only. I am bad. I can do whatever I want, and nobody has a right to tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to. And, and America fell in love with that attitude. What, what I'm saying to you is this, is what are you going to fall in love with? Are you going to fall in love with the evil or are you going to fall in love with the good? Which one are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the evil or the good? So James chapter 3 verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? You want to be wise? Let them show it by their what? 
the good life, not by the evil life, not by the rebel life. Come on. It is not cool to be a rebel because rebels, there was one rebel in heaven. He got kicked out. There won't be any rebels in heaven. God put up with one for one day and then they threw him out. God won't put up with you being a rebel in heaven. Get into the good life because God wants good for you. I feel like I'm preaching to a wall sometimes. About 80% of you are getting it. The other 20% are just sort of sitting there looking at me. Listen to me. Do you want the kind of life that when you look back on it at, with your grandkids and your great grandkids, you can say, this has been fun? Or do you want the kind of life you look back and you're so in debt that they can't even find a nursing home to put you in? And your kids won't talk to you if you have any. What do you want? Do you want a good life? If you want a good life, then show it. Show your good life by your deeds done in humility and come from wisdom. Second of all, if you love the good, second, you have to seek the good. You have to seek the good. There's an intentionality here. You have to be intentional on where you focus. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So you have to seek how to make the world better. You have to intentionally focus on what you're looking at. You have to seek the good of the world around you, even if it costs you. And to walk in God's good, we have to focus on his good, not our good. Galatians chapter four, verse 18. It's fine to be zealous as long as the purpose is good. And some of us can do good things with the wrong purpose and it's deadly. I won't preach that. We're called to imitate what is good, not what is evil. John chapter, uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, how can I illustrate what this means? So I, I thought about this. If you're going to focus on something, you're going and imitate it. You're going to have to... You're going to have to focus on what you want to imitate. So I want you to notice in this little video, I want you to notice the kid in the bathtub. We're just going to do the bathtub. Uh, so let's just watch the bathtub and watch the kid in the bathtub. Just watch him. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. Notice where his eyes go. Oh. <laughs> All right, you can stop there. That's good. Here's the, here's the point of that video. Did you notice where the kid's eyes went? When the dad did an action, where did the kid's eyes go before he did the action? He watched his dad. Now, when he was performing, he was watching mom with a video. But where was he watching when he was trying to figure out what to do? Who was he watching? His dad. If you want to imitate something, you have to make sure that your focus is on the thing you want to imitate. If you want to imitate God's goodness, you have to literally focus on God. You can't focus on CNN or Fox. You can't focus on influencers. You have to focus on God. 
If you want to imitate God's goodness and you want the goodness of God's life, you have to make sure your focus is not on Facebook or Insta or Snapchat or TikTok or wherever you spend your influence time. Your influence has to be on God. So I want you to seek the good, but to find the good, you have to focus on God's goodness to imitate it. Titus chapter three, verse eight. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. So I'm supposed to stress these to you. This is a word to pastors. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. You're supposed to devote yourself to the good. Uh, Titus three fourteen. our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. So I was driving down the road the other day and this dude, he like uh, cuts right in front of me. I mean, he's driving and he drives real fast and he slows down and he drives real fast again and then he comes over in my lane. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? So, you know, he drifts back over in his lane and I go around him, I decide I'm gonna go around him and I go to pass him and I look and what do you think he's doing? Come on, what's he doing? He's on his phone. Now, he can't do the good of driving safely if he's looking down. His eyes were on the wrong place. And because his eyes were on the wrong place, he almost wrecked me and everybody else on the road. And what I want to say to you through this illustration is simply this. If you are focused on the wrong things, if you're looking to the wrong things for approval or a direction or something to imitate, you will never, ever, ever enter into God's goodness. You have to focus on God. Third, we are to guard the good. Guard the good. I played a lot of basketball, and I'm going to tell you, as I got older into my 30s, I became a shutdown basketball player. I loved playing defense. In my youth, I was too, I was not good. I was too lazy. All I wanted to do was score. But as I got into basketball, I realized that real basketball is when you guard good when you don't let them get the ball and move to the basket. Guard, good. And what we need to do is we need to guard the good deposit that's entrusted to you. And that means you have to play defense against the things that want to destroy you. In, uh, in 2 Timothy 1, 4, it says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. You have to protect the good stuff God's given you and you have to keep the bad stuff away. You have to intentionally do that. That's not something that happens by accident. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You have to guard the good stuff. And it was, uh, it was uh, 1911, August 21st, in the Louvre Museum in Paris. The Mona Lisa was hanging on the wall the night of, and then uh, that night, there was a guy named, um, let me see, where's his name? Vincenzo Perugia, who was hired by the museum to create glass coverings for the paintings to keep them safe from the light and from people touching them. And what happened was he stayed after work that night and he went over to the wall after everybody had left and he took the Mona Lisa down off the wall, August 21st, 1911, and he walked out that night with it stuck in his coat. And they never found it because, you know, the problem was they didn't find it for years from this guy. And the reason was is they had no security guards in place to make sure the painting that was of incredible value was kept safe. They weren't guarding it. They were simply trying to put it on a wall. And, and because they didn't guard it, when it became a problem, they couldn't find it. It wasn't until two years later that he tried to fence the Mona Lisa that they found him, they caught up with him and they sent him to jail. You ready for this? For seven months for selling the Mona Lisa. 
But my point there is this. If you want the good to be healthy in your life, you have to put some guards around it. That means there are certain things I won't do in places I won't go. And I will tell you this, you young people, listen to me, listen to me. Nothing good happens after midnight. Go home, go to bed. Wake up early in the morning, go to work. I know I'm an old man, but I'm going to tell you, my dad, I came in late one night. You know what my dad did the next morning? He woke me up earlier. He said, we're going to go cut some wood today. You came home too late. I'll tell you about three in the afternoon, my tail end was dragging. You know why I was dragging? I stayed out too late because what did my dad do? My dad said, there are some things that are good like work and making money. What's not good is staying out all night, getting drunk, acting like an idiot. Amen, preacher, preach on. Come on, let's go. Four, do the good, do the good. All right, here's what's key. God never asks you to be good. You cannot find in the scripture where God asks you to be good. Remember, he imputes, he imparts his righteousness to you. He doesn't ask you to be good. Do you know what he does? He tells you to do good. Because being good is not in your power, but doing good is. God doesn't ask you to do things you can't do. He doesn't tell you to be something you can't be, but he does tell you to do what you can do. Titus 3.1 be ready to do what is, whatever is good. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And if God thinks you need something to do good, it says right there, he will give it to you. So you can do everything God told you to do. But it will cost you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So you mean sometimes I'm going to do good and it's going to cost me? Yes, it will. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Here's what God's saying. You plant the right seeds long enough, you will reap the good harvest. Now this is how we win as followers of Jesus. We don't win by doing normal we win by doing good. And this is the verse that drove this entire message right here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Fight the what kind of fight? Good fight. Fight the good fight. There are bad fights. Anybody that's been on Facebook for any length of time period knows there are bad fights, right? One time I was typing a response and somebody smarted off to me and I typed a response back. And right as I was about to hit enter to send that thing, I realized this is not a what kind of fight? This is not a good fight. You know, my wife's tired and grumpy. I say something smart, Alex. She comes back at me hard and I want to go back at her twice as hard. And I realize what? This is not a what? So you have a decision to determine whether it's a good fight or a bad fight. And God has called you and I to fight the good fight. By the way, good fights make you live longer. According to a 17-year study by the University of Michigan, marital conflict actually is not only healthy, it makes you live longer. People who were in marriages who did not have healthy fights in their relationship lived half as long as those who do. So babe, you're just helping me live longer. Conflict is not bad, good fight. 
Is it a good fight or is it a bad fight? Is it a fight you're fighting for your own ego, your own pride, or is it a fight because it's good? So one day I was driving down the road, I was driving down Lorraine Road up here. And you know how the turnpike merges on there? Well, I scooted over to let some guy in and then I had to get back in the right-hand lane. So I got back in the right-hand lane. I mean, I let him over and, and then he tried to speed up behind me or something. I don't know what happened, but somehow I guess I got over back in front of him and he didn't like me coming back over. So he flew me the bird. Now, normally, normally that wouldn't bug me, but that day I just waved real politely, literally full hand waved, you know, gave him a smile in the mirror and that must've really made him mad. He must have been on a bad phone call or something because he was double flying both birds. And then he got up on my tail end. You want to really make me mad? Tailgate me. So now he's tailgating me, flying me the bird, all this kind of stuff. And I pull up to the, the stoplight there on Lorraine Road in Lirinagel. And I look up in my rear view mirror again and smile and wave at the guy. Literally smile and wave at the guy. And he gives me a, you're a, uh, you do things with your mother. If you want to fight, just tell me I do things with my mother. I had the truck in park. I had my door open. I was about at my tailgate. And that dude was gonna be bleeding on the concrete in a matter of a couple of seconds. When I realized there was a headline, local pastor. <laughs> now I don't care what follows that. It's not, it's not what? It's not good. Could we agree it would not be good? It didn't matter what happened from that moment on. It would not be what? Good. It would not be the good fight. See, the deal is this, is a lot of us, we live our lives not thinking about how we live and whether or not it's the good fight or the bad fight. What we do is we think, hey, I'm gonna be right. I'm gonna prove to you I'm right. You're not fighting the good fight. You're fighting the selfish fight. Can we do what is good that benefits other people? Because one of these days, Nick Marulas is gonna to get to heaven and he's gonna bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the only one who is good, the only one who is righteous. And there's gonna be a headline written right below the throne and it's gonna say, Nick Marulas did. In that moment, do you want it to say, Nick Marulas did good? Or Nick Marulis did selfish. Nick Marulis did prideful. Nick Marulis did lustful. Do you want it to be Nick Marulis did good? By the way, every one of you, when you stand before the throne of God, the Bible says that you will be called to give an account for everything you've done in this body. Not everything you are, everything you have done in this body. Be it, come on, be it what? good or bad tree of knowledge of good and evil you have a choice to make and that's what I want to present to you and this is where I want to go today to conclude this service I want you to know that you have a choice every single moment will I choose the good or will I choose the bad it's my choice God gave you a choice and every time you choose the good, your heavenly father is proud of you. He looks down from heaven and says, that's my girl. That's my boy. He's proud of you. So here's how we're gonna end. 
We're going to sing this song one more time that we started, that you picked out a right song. We're going to sing God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And we're singing this song. I want you to make a choice in your heart. Are you going to keep pursuing your ego, your lust, your pride? Or are you going to do the good that your heavenly father has given you to do. Could you stand with me and let's sing it.